Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political sampling, Kobe Omanaka. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts and political rainforests in Diane and Tatton. How are you doing, guys? Great. Rainforests, slightly endangered, but very important. Oh. <laughs> I like the idea that we're being slashed and burned like a quarter of us a day, are disappearing, and, uh, and when we're gone, the world's going to suffer. Like, I think that's a good a good metaphor for our, for our civil politics. <laughs> is it? Is it? It's, a, it's a slightly grim metaphor, I think. I mean, we had, we had quite a, a grim and bleak episode last week. Have you set out the store for how this one's going to be already without Tatten? I think it's going to be a bit lighter. Yeah, I do. I think, yeah, I, I think, think so. I mean, as long as we, you know, steer away from all the grim stuff, then we're going to be fine. I've put daffodils beside me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, so Diane, if you can see the screen, if you're watching the feed that's on the Instagram account, you'll see three quarters of the screen is taken up on Diane's side by the daffodils, which look radiant. Oh, I was just going to say, I wanted to put them across my face, but I don't think that's um, the done thing. So they're just beside me. They wouldn't sound great on podcasts. <laughs> on a lighter frothy note, before we go into the main meat and potatoes of it, today, as we record, is World Book Day. We all have kids here on this podcast. How do they fare today? What do they dress up as? And how much input did you have on it? Diane. Okay, so controversially, our school, primary school, did dressing up a potato. So the child didn't have to dress up, but you had to buy a baked potato and dress that as a book character. Did you bake it? No, no, no. That would have been too squashy, too mushy. <laughs> no, raw, raw. I've sent in a Captain Underpants and a Tom Gates potato and... I don't know. I, I await feedback at the end of the day <laughs> as to how that went. Remind me who Tom Gates is. So Tom Gates is a, se- a massive series of books by Liz Pichon, I think it's, her name is. And basically, it's kind of like that really funny, like naughty at school kind of gets into lots of mischief, has a little band, you know, mm. that kind of like almost like about nine, 10, 11 year old kind of kid kind of stories but really funny. I look forward to introducing Mila to that later on. Tatton, what about yourself? I don't have my children here most of the time and didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, But Alfred went in as this kind of rogue wolf man character and he had tattoos on him to show that he was not a very nice guy and he had a bow and arrow and like a wolf hat thing and he was quite terrifying during the school run i kept on looking to my left and being quite scared by the creature (laughs) in the passenger seat Uh, I, I can't tell you what book it's from, but he took the book in to read from it, to read a description of the character. I thought it was a really nice touch to really draw the fancy dress into books. You know, so they all had to bring in the book they were featured in and read out the description of the character or a passage about the character whom, with whom they were dressed. And I, th- I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, lovely. My kid, Milo, is uh, is turning three in a, in a month or so's time, so he's only in nursery. And he wanted to go in initially as um, this character in a book called Camberski. I've got Camberski. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's a, it's by a chap called Raymond Antrobus uh, and Polly Dunbar. I, I know uh, Raymond's sister actually quite well, but Raymond's a fantastic poet and, and advocate for disability rights in general. But uh, my kid Milo absolutely, absolutely loves the book. Uh, but this morning, when we when we dressed him up in the uh, in his clothes, he was no, I don't want that at all. So he reneged, and we had to fashion up quickly uh, witch's costume from uh, the room on the broom, <laughs> and that's what he's uh, sauntered into this morning. So I was quite disappointed we didn't get any pics of him in the Kambersky outfit, to be honest, because I think it would have been unique. 
Okay, well, let's head on to the main part of the podcast. The first section is the most popular posts. Right, Tatten, what do we have at the number three slot this week? Michael Gove has been has popped up to give a talk. I presume that Michael Gove has looked around the headlines and seen a distinct lack of Michael Gove <laughs> in them. So he thought he'd uh, he'd change that. And it was it was an amazing wide ranging speech. It said he's going to bring peace to the culture wars, and apparently the way he's going to bring peace to the culture wars is by insulting one side and insulting and saying that woke people basically woke people are terrible people. And this is his plan to bring peace. I tell you what, I do love Michael Gove. He's so watchable, and he speaks he speaks with such passion. I mean, obviously some of it's utter nonsense, but um, he speaks with such passion. He performs it so well. And, you know, let's not forget, this is the guy raving on his own at 3 a.m. or whatever in some club somewhere. There's just a certain thing about him that uh, I find I find very watchable. Anyway, he was saying, as part of the speech, that he tried in the coalition years, so we're talking 10 years ago, to get a policy in that said that if your child isn't attending school, they will cut your child benefits, cut your child payment benefits for the parents or the adults involved. And this got a lot of people quite hot under the collar in the comments. They were saying it's ableist because it discriminates against people who who have disabilities, maybe. They were saying that it, it, it's all kinds of cruel. The, the point that Gobe was making is that she, he, he wasn't talking about authorised absences. And I, the idea is that if someone has a disability and can't go to school because of their disability, then there's some kind of evidence trail on that. Like there's a doctor somewhere that says this person cannot get to school. However, if it's just a question of adults not getting them to the school gates then there's a real problem. I mean, I know someone in a school around here and the deputy head picks them up every morning because their mum wasn't getting them to school because it's a massive problem. And if parents aren't ensuring their children don't get to, get to school, then you're perpetuating cycles of inequality. If the most vulnerable children aren't attending school, then they will turn into the most vulnerable adults. They don't have that route out through decent education day after day after day. Now, this policy from Michael Gove that didn't happen maybe it's the right way because you've got to get encourage people you've got to get kids into school maybe it's the wrong way to do it but do you know what i said i like michael gove and here's one here's here's the real reason i like michael gove michael gove will look at a problem and he will come up with a solution to that problem and he'll put it forward and this this is this didn't go anywhere but i like problem solving politicians who at least have a go, who at least go, we need kids in school, so how about this? And then this doesn't come off, fine, how about something else? So he, he gave it a go. I don't know why he's talking about it 10 years later, but he is, and it wasn't very popular on our page. I like the way you said, uh, introduced it as Michael Gove hasn't seen himself in the news headlines for a while, so it popped up like some kind of whack-a-mole. And we've talked in the past about school dinners being a source of sustenance and making sure that education is as potent as possible. And obviously the first step of that is making sure the kids turn up to school in the first place. Maybe tying in the school dinners, uh, you know, dinners, that could maybe draw a lot more kids into school and say, actually, if you turn up, guys, and, and be there at the lessons, you will get fed. That might be part of the solution to that problem. Um, so that's, well, let's see how that goes. Diane, what's at number two? Okay, in at two, food one of my favorite topics. So food is 
crazy expensive at the minute. So Kantar Research Group, keep an eye on it. And it's food inflation is over 17% at the minute. Now, they say it's on like quite essential things, milk, eggs, butter. I was thinking there could be something in this because that's all the kind of things for pancakes. Maybe it was a pancake day (laughs) (laughs) that happened. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But we're starting to see big hits on the more essential items. You know, even basics, even like real basics like pasta have doubled in price according, you know, to some BBC research. And I'm sure... All of us, as we do our big shops, are seeing this. It just feels like you go into whatever supermarket is your local one and you might as well just empty your wallet. And (laughs) you walk out with far less bags than you imagined you would come out with. And, you know, and and that's happening more and more. And I know that, you know, I'm, I'm not in a bad position at all, at all, at all, but I'm so much more aware of food spend than I ever have been before, ever, ever, ever. And I'm actually finding that sometimes, you know, those very well advertised meal kits that you get, you know, delivered, they're actually cheaper than doing a big shop sometimes for, for, because there's quite a lot of us in our family. And you can really keep an eye on those because they love to give discounts to get you in. And then you leave when the discount ends and join the next one (laughs) and then then leave and join the next one and you just calendar it and, and, you know, you can do quite a good thing there. Food prices are tough out there. On this post as well, I don't know uh, who wrote it, but you did say about the the price of Lerpat being widely discussed on social media. This this came out literally the day after I went and did a semi a semi large shop, and we're there. We needed the butter. We always get the lure pack spreadable, and look down. It's five pounds. I don't know how much it was before, but I'm sure it's less than three pounds. And it's just like I'm I'm not buying that. Yeah. That makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. No. Like yourself, I haven't really thought about the price of food. Things have gone up. Things have gone down. But I've never thought I'm not going to buy that one specifically mm. before because it's, the price has gone up too much. You know, we have the standard thing about the price of wagon wheels or whatever. Freddy the Frogs over the, over Freddos, the course of 10 years. But Freddos, Freddos, yeah. that's, yeah. Freddos, Freddos. This is over the yeah. course of like a month. And this that's insane mm. now. And if that's affecting me, and not that I'm rich in it by any way, shape, form, I can just imagine how it's affecting the people. And we talk about 17%. That's across all food brands. And this is these are staple items, pasta, butter. This is So this could be potentially doubling or more people's, the shops, they're, they're staple foods, and that's that's terrifying, right? At, at this moment in time, it's absolutely terrifying. And the slice, the slice of money that that people budget for food hasn't expanded by seventeen percent. I mean, if anything, like with other other things, it's got smaller. I was explaining this to the kids. I mean, my youngest is seven, and we're talking about inflation. We're talking about price scale. We're in Sainsbury's, and just going look at this because we do okay we can suck it up or maybe just swap down the level because we're not on the lowest you know budget level so there's room to go down there and we're just i was just talking about if something costs if you go into the shop with a fiver and you buy five one pound things for your meal or whatever and then suddenly everything costs one pound 15 you can only get four things and they were they were quite shocked these are the kinds of conversations i have yeah, very educational you are with your children. <laughs> I'm just like, push the trolley. Don't <laughs> don't get involved in the shopping. Push the trolley. <laughs> Shut up and push the trolley. 
<laughs> but I did see something this week and it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And in fact, I did think I was going to just keep it for our In Case You Missed It post at the weekend. But it's it's so nice and heartwarming that there are streets now where they have potato Mondays, essentially. So one person in the street will put their oven on and cook like 30 jack of potatoes. And then they go and they dish them out and have a conversation with their neighbor and go, well, here's your jack of potato. What are you having on yours tonight? Here's your da, 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 da. And it became a thing that for one person to have their oven on in the street because of energy prices, but it's actually turned out to like a nice natter and handing it over. And and I thought that that's that's pretty nice, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. There's not much better than jack of potato as well, especially when you dress them up I in know. Captain Underpants uh, for World Book Day. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most popular post this week, Tatton? I mean, the most popular post was the most popular post by miles and miles and miles. We had nearly 30,000 30, likes on this. The age at which you can get married has gone from 16 to 18, which is a reversal of lots of things. People talking about voting younger, people talking about all kinds of things. But this, we're moving up. And the reason is 16-year-olds who got married quite frequently were subject to forced marriages or some kind of manipulation. And previously, the law had said you, a forced marriage has threats attached. So any marriage where nobody has actually threatened the other person was illegal. But if they hadn't actually threatened them, it was legal. But it's just 16, 17 year olds are too vulnerable to exploitation. They're too vulnerable to be forced. And when they get to 18, they can get married. And, you know, it's a couple of years. And if you're making a lifetime commitment, maybe you can wait. I, I, and it was a really popular move on Instagram. It comes from a private member's bill. Now, private member's bills are a thing where individual MPs can start a law off. Normally, most laws come from the government, come from Rishi Sunak and his team, right? But private member's bills are a single MP going, here's a law that we need. And there are loads and loads and loads of them, and most of them get nowhere. But sometimes the government go, oh, do you know what? Yeah, that's that's a good idea. We'll just we'll just make that happen. And they tend to be these small single issue things. Whereas a big government bill's got like a million pieces of bits that go with it. Whereas this one is just a law that says, yeah, eighteen year old, you got to be eighteen to get married in England, Wales. And the government went, yeah, let's do that. And they got it through the House of Commons, got it through the House of Lords, and now it's happened, and the world is a better place. It seemed that this, as you said, there's harmonious comments mainly in the main from this on, on the feed, which is quite interesting because typically there's a post that is so large on simple politics can be quite divisive. I can't really see the argument against. And I'm really good at seeing the argument against. That's my job. Like I, I, <laughs> I, can, I can argue both sides of pretty much anything. And I cannot see the argument against this. I mean, least of all, at 16, I was an absolute idiot. At 18, I was an idiot. At, uh, at 43, I'm still an idiot. But I was less of an idiot now than I was at 16. Kobe, that's it. No, oh, do you know what? No. Do you know what? Here it is. The argument against it. The argument against it is that Kobe, I'd have married you at 16. And I'd be heartbroken. <laughs> If I had to wait two years. Some of my favourite comments on this post were, though, that um, it's not high enough. It should be 45. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> All right, guys, let's head over to the mailbag. It's over to the readers and listeners to address what they've been asking this week. And it's been it's, this week is going to be a different version. It's going to be a quick fire round because we have quite a few questions to go through. 
and we want to get through them and acknowledge the fact that you guys have been sending questions and we've not been able to get through to them. So Diana is going to ask Tatten some questions. He's got 30 seconds or less what? to answer them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay. He wasn't aware of it. He has not read the script. <laughs> I, I, yeah, of course I have. Right. So what are we doing? I've got 30 seconds. Let's go. Hit, hit me. Okay. You ready? We've got, we're going to cover about four, I think. Yeah. Always. I've got the timer and I'll just make a noise. Brilliant. Okay. Ready? Hit me, hit me, hit me. This is fun. All from Instagram. First one from Not A Politico Ooh. says, is there time for Rishi Sunak to come back in the pools? He's behind at the minute. Or... Is it looking dead set for a Labour win in the next general election? Go. Starmer has not convinced a lot of people. A lot of people are quite bored of the Conservative government. A lot of people are looking at some of the errors Conservative government have made. But Starmer hasn't managed to really draw people in yet. So the polls are with Labour but are kind of as a default right now. If the economy can pick up, if inflation comes down, if he can get things going again, then the, a lot of the electorate are very persuadable and there is loads of time for him to do it. Oh, I, did, I didn't get to make the noise. Fantastic. Okay, this is from Connor. Next, next. Yeah, next, bring it on. Connor says, what's your take on Rishi Sunak saying that Northern Ireland was in a really unique position with access to Great Britain and the European Union markets? Because wasn't the UK in that position a while ago? I mean, this was this was brilliant. This was an amazing quote. What what Rishi Sunak was actually talking about is that Northern Ireland are in the EU single market mostly, but have regulatory independence, and that's not what we were. We had when we were in the single market, we had to follow the EU rules. That's what he meant. Obviously, that quote is really clear that we should. Like, it really sounds like we should join the EU again. That's not what he meant. But it's a fun thing for us all to play with. Oh, and again, under the time limit. Next. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> right. I think this is a tricky one. It might catch you out. Okay. Diana Dyson has asked, how can we change the blame culture? You know, we're very quick to blame leaders in this country. And that's not encouraging trustworthy, authentic people to come forward and put their hats in the ring because they basically think they're going to get a load of abuse being a politician. So what can we do to change that? Go. I wrote a whole book about this. So can I have like <laughs> five hours? So what we need to do is we need to encourage tolerance and peace and truth and all these kinds of things. And that has to come from our leaders first. We need to get out of this confrontational thing. We need to work together more. We need to see weekly meetings between Sunak and Starmer to try and hammer out what they can agree on. We need to focus on agreement. And then, and if that comes from the top, it should come, it should all work together from. <laughs> that wasn't three hours. I wanted three Whoa. hours. <laughs> What's the book called, Tatum, where you discuss this? The book is called The Breakdown and it's available on spstuff.co.uk or like Amazon and Waterstones and kind of your fave bookshops. I thoroughly recommend it. It was written by this great guy. He's funny and he's uh, wonderful in every way. So uh, Very humble. Very um, humble. He's a very humble guy. Um, it's World Book Day today. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's not an atlas, um, which is a world book, but it is, um, it's, uh, it's the best book I've ever written. Last question, Diane. Right. Oh, is there more? Yes, 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 yes. One more, one more, one more. Ready? I believe it's from Lone Seer from Coppershore. With AI, with AI faces and voices, particularly of politicians, does that pose a threat to democracy? Go. 
No, it doesn't. There's always been there's always been fake news. There's always been like quotes purported to be from places. I think that it's re- it's always really clear where the actual news comes from. It puts a bit more pressure on news outlets, maybe to be clear what's going on. But the internet's been full of nonsense for a long time. No threats. I'm going to come to regret saying this. No <laughs> threats from AI to politics and democracy. When we have our first AI prime minister, <laughs> we'll come back to you. <laughs> Some form of intelligence from any prime minister would be nice. Oof. That's what I'm going to regret. Yeah, so that came in under time, including the regret statement as well. So well done, Tatsun. That's been, I've, I've enjoyed that. So guys, if you have any questions, do send them across to us. And as we get a, a glut of them in the post, we'll what, maybe do this once every few weeks and do a, a quick fire round uh, of Ask Tatsun. Part three, PM watch. Diane and Tatsun have their spies on Rishi Sunak. What have they found out this week? I mean, it's all been about Northern Ireland really this week. The Windsor framework. I mean, you have to call things, you know, you had the Good Friday Agreement, you have all these things, you have to call call it something. And the Windsor framework is just such, it just sounds, I mean, it's complicated. It just sounds really boring. A framework. No one wants, oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing the new framework. Yeah, but anyway, it's come out and it's really tricky because... It looks good. It look, I mean, look, it's better. It's got a system where if you're just shipping things into Northern Ireland, there'll be no checks at all if you're a trusted trader. It's not quite clear how you become a trusted trader yet, but if things are going to go on from Northern Ireland, then they will be subject to checks. So it kind of removes the, the, the hard border in the Irish Sea, and it doesn't put up a hard border between uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. So in that, it's pretty good. At the time of recording, we don't know what the DUP think. They're quite important because if the DUP don't like it, they won't get back to forming a government in Northern Ireland and the people of Northern Ireland need a government. The ERG, the kind of the conservative Brexiteers haven't, they said that it'll take a couple of weeks for them to have their lawyers around it. It will pass. The House of Commons does a vote because Labour have said we'll vote for it. But keeping the party together this is tricky. And I don't know how much you follow Brexit and the history of Brexit, but it hasn't always been a harmonious time for the Conservative Party. You know, Theresa May, the, the Boris Johnson, this trust, it, it, it's, been, it's been tricky. Cameron resigned over Brexit. So the last several prime ministers, I mean, it's all, it's made a difficult time. Is the Windsor framework going to fix things? Possibly. It feels like the delays from the ERG and the DUP, if they were going to back it, they would have backed it already. I think that I, th- I think I think that the delays aren't looking good because you've got it because because given time to, to get it through for lots of people. And also it's quite a safe space for the ERG because they know it's going to pass anyway. They can come out and say, no, we don't like it. And make their points and, and and put a bit of pressure on future decisions from the Prime Minister while, yeah, safely knowing it's going to go through anyway. Whereas for the DUP, I think this could really be a make or break piece for them because there is so much built up frustration around the Northern Ireland government. Essentially, you know, this deal ticks pretty much all of the boxes, the seven things they were looking for you know, you could say, people are starting to feel like they're dragging their heels for all sorts of other reasons. You know, you could present any 
you know, the best, best, best version of what they want. And they'd still drag their heels because they're uncomfortable. No, they're not the largest party in the Northern Irish government and they would be under uh, Sinn Féin first minister. So I think they've got to play this carefully because the more and more and more they stall and things don't get passed that are really, really important. You know, we've had like an uh, an organ donation law that had to be done from Westminster because it, there was no sitting government. You know, there's stuff that's had had to just happen and people are very frustrated and they could actually see themselves ostracized even more I think if they don't start to look at this pragmatically. So Rishi's done quite wellish this week is what we're saying essentially. I think it's been it's been a good week for Rishi Sunak yeah. We're all hoping that he'd pull something out of the bag especially in the wake of the, the police shooting in the region and hoping that it didn't then instigate any other, uh, you know, troubles. And let's see how let's see how it manifests over the next few weeks. Um, this was definitely an area that was a, a crunch time for for the for the government and Rishi Sunak in particular. Right, final section, guys. Let's head to the crystal ball. What stories will be coming up next week on this podcast? Diane. Right, I'll be really, really quick. It's just a nod to, if you're in Scotland, if you're an SP follower and you're in Scotland, it's going to be all about SNP leadership. Things like hustings are starting to to kick off. You know, we know who the three are. And the whole process is wrapped up by the end of this month, by the 27th of March. So just expect lots of sound bites from each of the three leaders. But I could put a bet on now, probably, and say um, who it's going to be, but I won't. Um, we will we'll let the person... Hamza Yusuf. Yes. <laughs> But we'll let the process uh, unwind. <laughs> it's a bit of an odd week because we're building up to the 15th of March, which is the week after, which is budget day. And so there's going to be lots of chat and lots of pressure coming out. And we're going to see lots of groups coming out and saying, our funding isn't good enough here. Our whatever isn't good enough there. My inbox is beginning to fill up with press releases already about underfunded areas so next week there's going to be a lot of that. We're going to get more WhatsApp COVID chat about terrible things that apparently the WhatsApp messages show that Matt Hancock or whatever, whoever else did or said, but none, none of it can be verified. So we've got to wait for the inquiry really into that. I don't like the story. I don't like the Telegraph having 100,000 messages and then they pick and choose what we see and they're not going to pick the nice bits imagining that Matt Hancock's ever said something nice like so we don't we don't know I don't like but that's going to run all next week and all kinds of interesting little things popping up more strikes going to be announced and then we got the budget the week after so it's gonna be an interesting few weeks no matter which way you try and slice it thank you very much guys for this week it's been a pleasure I hope your kids have enjoyed the world book day today and uh, we'll see you all next week just heard a stripped media production.